Federal buildings from coast to coast could hit some real estate markets any day now. They're on a list of high-value federal properties recommended for sale by the Public Buildings Reform Board. Congress established the board in 2016 to expedite the sale of excess federal property. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has the latest. Jory, this board doesn't put things on the block. They recommend to GSA what to sell? Yes, this is only one step in a series of steps along the way with multiple agencies. But this is a really interesting grab bag of properties that they identified. And there's either one of two things in common here. They're either in areas of the country that just by the nature of them are very high value property or these are just huge properties that just, it's a lot of square footage. And they're underutilized at this point, or maybe empty, or partially empty? Underutilized, empty, all of these things. Dilapidated. Tell us about some of the properties. What do we know about them? Yeah, so just a quick snapshot here. There are two job cores in Sacramento, California, and Edison, New Jersey. And there are interesting case studies here. The Sacramento Job Corps, both Labor Department facilities, by the way, The Sacramento Job Corps is 170 acres, but about half of that is vacant property, so it's just the land there for sale. And the Edison, New Jersey one is in an upper-middle-class neighborhood that's an hour train ride from New York City. We also have the Southwest Fisheries Science Center, owned by the Commerce Department, and this is in Pacific Grove, California, which is right next door to Monterey, California, and Big Sur, and so it's beautiful coastal property there. And there's also one in Menlo Park, the Menlo Park Complex. And you know, that's got to be valuable because Menlo Park is one of the highest real estate areas anywhere. Right, like right. Tokyo. Next to, you know, Silicon Valley, Google, Facebook, all the uh, all the big tech companies. There. All right. So 12 in all that were recommended by this board. And uh, how did the board make these determinations? Well, it's all based on the federal real property profile from the General Services Administration And this is a worldwide snapshot of all the U.S. government-owned properties. You could spend a day just digging through everything there. And that was released publicly in 2017 under this Federal Assets Sale and Transfer Act, or FASTA. And in the most recent data that we have on that, it identifies 7,000 underutilized or excess properties. So there's a lot of material for this board to drill down into with that 7,000. Yeah, and they've picked 12 to start with. Yes, so yes. now there's 6,988 yet to go. Right. There's, there's, uh, there's plenty more to go through. All right. And uh, what kind of properties did not make the board's initial list of recommendations? Well, there were more than this dozen, but with every property that made the short list, at least one board member made a point of going in person, doing a tour, hearing from agency officials about the use of that property and everything that goes on there. And there were some properties that, based on that site visit, they were then taken off the short list. Interesting. Okay. And there was one really interesting case study in uh, – it was a VA hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. And we heard from one of the board members, Talmadge Hawker. He's the founder of a private real estate firm in Lexington. And so he was familiar with this hospital and he, over many years, would drive past it. And he expected to see this old, dilapidated building, but he said this was really not the case. When I got there, I found that that there's a new administrator that had been on the job for four or five years, and he's actively been opening parts of the and renovating parts of the VA that have been closed. We found that part of the back property that we thought we were going to be selling is under construction, about ready to open for low-income housing for veterans. We had another piece of property that we thought we could use, and it's been expanded for veteran housing as well. 
And that's Talmadge Hawker. He is a member of the Public Buildings Reform Board, finding that this one flew over the cuckoo's nest. In other words, they... It was a much better building than they thought it would be, and the utilization was going up. And we're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. What were some of the board's challenges then with identifying candidates that they did put forward and say, get rid of this? Overall, there's just a real challenge with the availability of good, reliable data on all of this. We talked about the FRPP, the Federal Real Property Profile, and that's a big picture snapshot of where things stand. But there's not that good, granular data of what the activity is like in every particular building, as was the case with the VA hospital. And we heard from Mary Phillips, who is another board member, and she's a former staff director for one of the subcommittees of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And she said that in a lot of cases, the agency data is just a mess. There's no consistency about utilization rates. And part of that has to do with the lack of technology in most of the federal buildings, so you're not tracking who's there at any given time. There's just a lot of opportunity, and there's inconsistency an inaccuracy in the data. It's not complete. Different agencies report information differently, and particularly when offices are shared, agencies will often use an average to come up with a number needed for a particular data element rather than having really good actual information. So that was Mary Phillips, again, one of the board members on this Public Buildings Reform Board. And even in cases where agencies do have reliable data, it's still a challenge for this board to get access to this data. We had heard from Angela Stiles, yet another board member and a former OMB procurement official, and she relayed this case of this board going to an agency call center, and this was one of the cases of this data being challenging to get. I think they told us they had 500 FTEs there, and there might have been five cars in the parking lot, and there <laughs> might have been 15 people working that day, right, middle of the week. It was, uh, and they also had the technology that they were logging people in and out. And so, you know, there is something, but they also knew, I mean, it was the nicest call center I've ever seen, public, private, didn't matter. It was a really nice call center that they, they built. And they obviously didn't want to move out of it, right? So a beautiful building with 15 cars in the parking lot, that's a tough one. I mean, you could move other federal centers in there and fill it out, or you could move the 15 people somewhere, I guess, and sell it. So it's not such a cut-and-dried process. Not everything is a big, empty, drafty barn that's falling down in the middle of the woods that they could easily dump, is it? No, no. There's this real push-pull between this government-wide view of maximizing utilization and this on-the-ground situation of agencies wanting the best space for their employees to do their mission. All right. So the board has been cogitating over this now for close to a year, I guess six, seven months now because I had Angela Stiles on when that board got launched, Mm -hmm. and she told us what they were going to be doing. They have put forth these 12 recommendations. What happens to those recommendations, and what does the board do next? By January 26th, the Office of Management and Budget have to give their official approval on those recommendations. And as soon as that happens, the agencies that are affected, they have 60 days to come up with implementation plans of how they're going to move employees and how they're going to reorganize their missions based on not having these properties anymore. And from there, those implementation guides go to the General Services Administration, and they will have an indefinite period of time to put those properties up for sale. Golly, so the agencies affected don't get to say, nope, we're going to keep this building, but it could be years until it's actually sold, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they certainly want to make sure that there's a buyer lined up and they want to make sure they get the fair market value for these properties. And that could take years. This whole thing reminds me of the world's biggest dryer, 
with 88 colors of rags going around and around and around. And you keep trying to grab that red one, and it disappears again and goes back into the pile. Do you think any buildings are going to be sold here? What's your hunch about this process, Jory? Well, under this authority, the GSA has sold parcels of land near the National Mall already. There's a sense that this is working, that there is buy-in to see this succeed. All right. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash bestmusic to get Live One Plus now. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.